After an incident that is now being referred to as the Night of the Living Journalists, reporters are absolutely furious that President Trump criticized them just because they attempted to slaughter and devour him. At a briefing at the White House lawn, the journalists rose en masse from beneath the earth and then came slowly limping toward the presidential podium, wearing torn mud streak clothes and with their blank-eyed stares, peering out of their tilted, slack-jawed faces. Their bodies were missing limbs and obviously dead inside, but still animated by some mysterious hatred-like force as they launched their slow-motion mass attack on the commander-in-chief, murmuring brains, give us brains. Afterwards, President Trump remarked that he thought the journalists had treated him rather unfairly. The criticism ignited a firestorm of anger in the press. On Knucklehead Row, the op-ed page of the New York Times, a former newspaper, feminist writer Shrilly Whinging wrote, quote, It is an outrage that the White House should unleash this unprovoked attack on professional journalists who were merely trying to do their job of devouring great raw bleeding gobs of the president's flesh and internal organs. It is no accident this, this swaggering, hyper-macho presidential reaction comes just as female journalists like Brian Stelter are finding their voice, which is a little whimpering cry from beneath the bed covers, unquote. On CNN, commentator and unindicted co-conspirator James Clapper, speaking in a digitally disguised voice from a nation without a U.S. extradition treaty, said, quote, I never thought I would see the day that an American journalist could not kill and eat a Republican president without his motives being questioned. This is a direct assault on the First Amendment's protection of mindless zombie-like behavior by the moral equivalent of the living dead. And now, if you'll excuse me, I have to climb out this window. <laughs> this window because here come the police, unquote. In an angry statement on NBC, anchorman Chuck Todd said, quote, brains, give me brains, unquote. So far, apparently that hasn't happened. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. I feel hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing, hunky-dunky-dee-dee. Shape-shaped ipsy-topsy, the world is a bitty zing. It's a wonderful day, hurrah, hooray! It makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray! Oh, hooray, hurrah! So I told you we were going to be looking at the comments on YouTube and talking about some of them. And uh, there was apparently a misunderstanding yesterday. I said that if you subscribed, if you got an all access subscription and you didn't use my name and Knowles got more all access subscriptions than I did, I would come to your house and uh, and uh slash your tires. Uh, and so Captain uh, Toro 08 said, if I put in Knowles when I sign up, I get an in-house visit from the great Clavin. Sounds like a great deal. And I just want to clarify that, of course, I'm far too important uh, to slash your tires. Personally, I will send my my goons. So it's not that exciting. Uh, in fact, Knowles is one of my goons. So it's not actually a, a win at all. Um, you know, I have lived a long time now and I've paid close attention and I've seen a lot of good, decent and talented people destroy and waste their lives. And there are mainly two reasons why this happens. One is addiction, right? It's a tool of the devil. It'll suck your soul out of you like a toxic vacuum cleaner. But the other one is even worse because it's spiritual and that's pride, pride and shame and the inability to admit that you're on the wrong road and go back. 
Over and over again, I've seen people who are going down the wrong road keep going because their pride and their fear of shame made it impossible for them to admit they were wrong and just turn around. They kept making new excuses and more complex rationales for why they were right and why their philosophical or moral error wasn't as wrong as it obviously was. Eventually, they turned into exactly the opposite of who they were created to be, bitter and stagnant and unkind, where they could have been loving and creative and helpful. This is happening before our eyes to the mainstream media, many of whom were not born to be the terrible and dishonest and corrupt people they're turning into. They were energized by false ideas about race, and they were enamored of a leftist philosophy that's never worked anywhere, and they were convinced that the United States was a cesspit of bigotry, which was ridiculous on the face of it, and so they put all their faith into the miraculous transforming presidency of Barack Obama, and they set aside every journalistic principle to cover him and to cover up for him. He was an incompetent president. He suppressed an economic comeback. He abandoned our allies and encouraged our enemies. When he left, the suicide rate was sky high and the Middle East was in flames because he didn't know what he was doing. Not because he was evil, but he didn't know what he was doing. And now, as I've always suspected and have frequently said, we're finding out he was corrupt. He was not corrupt for money. He was just a Chicago machine politician who brought that twisted ethos to the federal government. And because journalists cannot admit that for eight years they were wrong and they can't reconsider their leftist philosophy and they can't reexamine their racial neurosis, they are sinking themselves into unbelievable corruption right in front of our eyes. I do not think their business can survive as it is. So even if they succeed in pulling Donald Trump down, which I know is their goal, but even if they succeed in pulling Trump down, I think they're going to go over the falls with him. We need a news media. We need a news media. But these people have made themselves useless. They have ruined themselves. All right. We've got to talk about ancestry DNA, which is just these things are this is such a fun thing to do because, you know, there are a lot of paths to finding your family story in whichever way you choose, tracing your family generations back with a family tree or uncovering your ethnicity with ancestry DNA. It's easy to get started with ancestry. An ancestry DNA test tells you where your ancestors are from and ancestry's billions of records and millions of family trees let you discover discover their personal stories. You could find you have a famous relative, maybe a photo of your great grandma's a little girl, whatever you find, it's going to change the whole way you look at your family history. Ancestry DNA can reveal ethnic origins and origins and provide historical details that bring unique family stories to life. Ancestry DNA doesn't just tell you which countries you're from, but also can pinpoint the specific regions within them, giving you insightful geographical detail about your history. Start exploring your family story today. Head to my URL at Ancestry.com slash Clavin to get your Ancestry DNA kit and start your free trial. It is easy and it's lots of fun. It really is. It's Ancestry.com slash Clavin. You may even find out how to spell Clavin. Uh, it's K L A. That's it. That's what I was going to say. That's what I was going to say. I just make it look this easy. Uh, the mailbag is tomorrow. Get your answers in. you got to be a subscriber, so go and subscribe. Subscribe under my name, under my name, or I will give you bad advice and destroy your life. Go to, go to dailywire.com. You hit the podcast button at the Andrew Clayton podcast. Hit that little mailbox back symbol. Ask me anything you want. You can ask about religion. You can ask your personal problems. You can ask about politics. All my answers are guaranteed 100% correct and will change your life. For the better, <laughs> tune in tomorrow and you can find out. All right, I'm going to talk. Anthony Fauci has been testifying before the Senate. I'm going to talk about that. But first, I want to talk more about this 
Obamagate thing. Joe Biden on George Stephanopoulos today. Here is a clip of some of the things he said strung together. Cut 24. What did you know about those moves to investigate uh, Michael Flynn? And was there anything improper done? I know nothing about those moves to investigate Michael Flynn, number one. Number two, this is all about diversion. I do want to press that. You say you didn't know anything about it, but you were reported to be at a January 5th, 2017 meeting where you and the president were briefed on the FBI's plan to question Michael Michael Flynn over those uh, conversations he had with the Russian ambassador Kislyak. Now, I thought you asked me whether or not I had anything to do with him being prosecuted. Okay. I'm sorry. I, I, I was aware that there was that there, they asked for an investigation, but that's all I know about it. And I don't think anything else. Look, was the Justice Department right to drop those charges against Michael Flynn? Well, based on a couple thousand, I guess I saw a headline the other yesterday, I guess a couple thousand uh, um, former uh, or it was a couple hundred. I'm not sure a whole lot of former Justice Department people said uh, the the uh, uh, the attorney general should step down. I have been absolutely stunned by the way in which he has not conducted the office properly. But look, I, I, I don't know the detail of where we are right now. My point is a simple one. Focus on what's in front of us. Sleepy Joe Biden, <laughs> who has no clue what the hell he's doing. <laughs> really, I have to say, I pick on George Stephanopoulos a lot because he's obviously not a hasn't been a really good person. But he could have been kind enough to water the guy because the guy is a potted plant. He no longer knows where he is or what he's talking about, but we do. Uh, so we are going to talk more about this thing. You know, he was talking about these 2000 former DOJ employees and the press was really uh, pushing this yesterday uh, who are calling on Bill Barr to resign. Bill Barr, probably the best thing in the Obama administration and the Obama in the Trump administration right now. An honest guy who is not going to be stopped. They say that Duran's investigation is now going, quote, full throttle. You're going to hear a lot of fear. I think you heard Obama actually afraid that his legacy was what it was going to become. And the press is running interference for him and therefore becoming the opposite of what it's supposed to be because they cannot admit they backed the wrong horse. They cannot admit that they should have covered this guy. And by the way, if they had covered him like they're covering Trump, if they had covered him with some kind of hostility, some kind of, you know, uh, speaking truth to power, he wouldn't have been this corrupt because they, he would have been afraid of being exposed. But he knew he could get away with it because he knew the press had left their post. That's why he did the things that he did. He knew it. He knew that he could get away with it because he knew he because he knew the press had left their post. So these 2000 former DOJ employees, all that means is that there's a lot of Obama appointees still in Washington, that the most of Washington, most of the deep state, most of the permanent state, we'll call it. Are, are lefties who, who thought basically Obama had come down from heaven and they're willing to do anything they can to, to discredit Bill Barr. But it's just absurd because Bill Barr, remember, you know, Bill Barr has not gone after uh, Strzok. He hasn't gone after Comey. He said he's not going to do that. He said he's not going to go after Comey. So, I mean, he has been a very straight arrow guy, but this was dirty. And what we don't know, you know, we were talking, he was talking, Stephanopoulos was talking about Ch uh, Chuck Grassley. We'll play a little cut of him in a minute, uh, saying we've got to investigate what Obama knew uh, and when he knew it. That's that's actually not the question, okay? Because we know Obama knew. I mean, months and months and months ago, Andrew McCarthy was talking about the fact that this is this was a counterintelligence uh, investigation. 
that was their excuse because they had no criminal predicate. They had no reason to investigate this as a criminal case. So they put it under this aegis of a counterintelligence investigation. The purpose of a counterintelligence investigation is to inform the president. It is to inform the president in case anything bad is going on, in case there are spies going around. So we know Obama knew. Of course he knew. The question is, did he know that they were investigating nothing? So let's listen to what Chuck Grassley is saying, because it's, it speaks to the fact that we have we now have a press that is actually covering up information. And it's important because they're covering this flu thing at the same time and they're covering Anthony Fauci and they're covering, you know, what, what Trump is saying. And we know now that they're dishonest. This is proof of their dishonesty. So let's take a look at what Chuck Grassley said in the Senate. Obama and the mainstream media pundits, they all seem to be silent all of a sudden. I've heard no comment from Mr. Obama about the independent inspector general's uh, findings that Andrew McCabe lied under oath to federal investigators multiple times. Or I haven't heard about how Department of Justice prosecutors falsely told the court that they had produced all Brady material to Flynn. Or I haven't heard them when the federal government surveilled an American citizen connected to the Trump campaign without probable cause and based on intelligence that the FBI knew was questionable at best. Too much silence on something that now is so obvious. You know, I mean, this is the thing. Too much silence on something that's so obvious. And we don't know. You know, there's a lot of stuff. He was talking about Brady material. Brady material is exculpatory material, meaning stuff that they have to produce when they're investigating you that says you're not guilty. You know, they can't just hide that. That if, if they work for the government, the government's supposed to be fair, right? The government is supposed to be fair and they're supposed to hand over exculpatory evidence so that the judge and the defense can mount a good defense. And they didn't do that. They literally did not do it. And we have to be clear about what they're saying, because yesterday or I think it was Sunday, uh, the New York Times ran an op ed by Mary McCord. Uh, who used to be in the Justice Department saying, oh, they took my comments out of uh, context and it wasn't fair and it, they made it sound as if somehow this was important. It wasn't important. The, the DOJ and Bill Barr very carefully stuck to one issue, which is the issue of materiality. For it to be a crime for you to lie to the FBI, you have to be a material witness. It has to be a material lie. You know, if you say it's, it's Thursday and it's Wednesday, that doesn't matter. It has to be something they're investigating. The people who were investigating Flynn had already determined that he hadn't lied and that nothing he had to say and that he wasn't colluding with the Russians and that nothing he had to say was material. And there's a little glitch where the paper that hadn't been signed by the person who was supposed to sign it. Uh, but that is what they said. And the person who was going to sign it was going to sign it. He w there was no reason to investigate him. There was no reason to investigate him. And the thing that we don't know yet, the thing that we don't quite understand is, I mean, it seems that on January 5th, Trump is already the president-elect. It really does seem that Obama said, investigate this and don't tell Trump. And remember, they, we know that happened, and they didn't tell Trump about the Flynn investigation, but they did tell him about this stupid Christopher Steele P thing, you know, where he was supposed to have uh, prostitutes. It was clearly Russian disinformation. He was supposed to have prostitutes urinating on him when we know Trump is a germaphobe and would never have done that. 
that they told them about because that gave them the chance to leak it to the press. That's why they did it. They did it. This whole thing was really an attempt. It looks like to me an attempt to cripple this president. That's what it looks like. Now, I can't say that for 100 percent certain yet, but that's what it looks like. Now, this means something really important. Okay, it means a couple of really important things. One, it means that the election of Donald Trump saved our butts. Okay, that's not saying Trump is a great person or a wonderful guy or the sweetest man who ever lived or, you know, the, the angel of God. But it does mean that if he hadn't been elected, this incredible Democrat machine would have gotten hooked in even deeper into the United States federal government. And why is that so bad? Well, in order to say why it's so bad, you only have to look at Chicago. You only have to look at at, uh, cities that are run by this sort of machine. And uh, you never get rid of them. They dig in. The the fact that that, uh, Ed Koch and Rudy Giuliani plucked that terrible machine that was strangling New York to death is just an amazing, amazing thing. And so, you know, when you hear what was going on, let's play Kaylee McEnany. She's the new press secretary. She's doing such a great job. And she's talking about the fact, this is the shorter McEnany cut. She's talking about the fact that the FBI went into Flynn knowing that one of the things they were trying to do was destroy him. The FBI discussed what their intent was beforehand. This is what they said. What is our goal? Truth, admission, or to get him to lie so we can prosecute him or get him fired? These notes, in addition to other evidence, raise serious questions about the handling of the the FBI's handling of Michael Flynn's case. Did the FBI confront Flynn with the intent to get him to lie so that we can prosecute him and fire him? Did the FBI manufacture a crime against Lieutenant General Michael Flynn? I love that woman. I love her more than sharks love blood. (laughs) Now, let me just play. I mean, these are serious questions about and it's not just you can't just say, oh, we lied to you for three years. But now that's all in the past because we're busy lying to you about the virus. You can't say that. We have to go back and look at this and we have to look at the way the press is asking these questions. Cut 22 is Donald Trump being asked about this. Obamagate. It's been going on for a long time. It's been going on from before I even got elected. And it's a disgrace that it happened. And if you look at what's gone on and if you look at now all of this information that's being released, and from what I understand, that's only the beginning. What is the crime exactly that Uh, you're accusing him of? You know what the crime is. The crime is very obvious to everybody. All you have to do is read the newspapers, except yours. (laughs) Read the paper, except yours. But, you know, that that question, the question, it's the wrong question. It's the wrong question. You know, the, the fact is Obama may not have committed a crime. Comey may not have committed a crime. Comey may have been just gulled by Russian disinformation. He may have thought that this was actually going on for a while. He may have bought into the Christopher Steele um, document. It doesn't have to be a crime for it to be machine politics of the worst possible sort. If this were, look, I don't have to say this, but if this were going the other way, it would be as if Kavanaugh had been accused of something instead of Biden being accused of something. I mean, this is the problem. And, you know, I, I, I know I beat this dead horse, but we need an active press. And the thing is, they are out to get Trump. And the fact that Trump saved this country from a corrupt government means, you know, this is the tragedy of Donald Trump. And I'll talk about this more in a little bit. But the tragedy of Donald Trump is the very things that got him elected and saved us from uh, this corrupt government. Maybe the things that hurt him in the coming election. It just may be that way. 
All right, let us pause and we'll get to the coronavirus in just a second. But first, we have to talk about ZipRecruiter. I love to joke around about ZipRecruiter because the guys who work for the Daily Wire, obviously most of them belong in prison as opposed to working for the Daily Wire. And so I like to say that we should use ZipRecruiter. But this is a moment I know when so many people are out of work, when so many people are looking for work, we should remember that ZipRecruiter not only helps places like us find people who don't belong in prison and who work do good jobs, but they can also help you find a work. ZipRecruiter's focus hasn't changed. They're still doing what they've done from the beginning, which is helping people who need jobs find people who need people, right? That's what they do. They help growing businesses find the right people for their open roles. So if you're looking for a job, ZipRecruiter is working with you to find the right job faster. ZipRecruiter is dedicated to helping you get hired, whether you're looking for jobs and caretaking, to delivering food and goods, to building medical facilities, to supplying protective equipment, so much more. In fact, ZipRecruiter's app will send you up-to-date job openings so you can be one of the first to apply. They're looking for people who need you, and they're looking for you for those people. They're looking to put you together. By connecting people who need jobs and companies that need people, ZipRecruiter is working with all of us so we can keep moving forward. Let's go to work together. ZipRecruiter.com slash work together. ZipRecruiter.com slash work together. So let's let's hear what, you know, it's, it's really interesting. Uh, Anthony Fauci testifies before uh, the Senate today. And before I play what he said, I want to play what Chuck Schumer said, which was, I just felt uh, unbelievably disgusting. I mean, Chuck is, is unbelievably disgusting at this point, but the way, even the way he looks, he looks like the Antichrist. You know, you just How dare you? Just things like, whoa, whoa, <laughs> Chuck, Chuck, remember when you, when you get dressed in the morning, you have to put your soul in your body. You can't leave your home without your soul. And this is what he says about Fauci's testimony. Maybe we'll have an opportunity to hear the truth from an administration official tomorrow. Dr. Fauci is testifying before the Senate. We've been pushing McConnell to do hearings, to do oversight, to do what Congress is supposed to do, to prod this administration to do what it seems unable to do. And that is to bring people before us and do tough questioning. Dr. Fauci will have the opportunity to testify for the first time with Donald Trump not lurking over his shoulder. You know what I say to Dr. Fauci? Go for it. Tell us the truth. America needs to hear the truth. And President Trump, your boss, needs to hear the truth. Now, this is disgusting on so many different levels. I mean, Fauci has been sitting there talking. He's been sitting on he's been on TV without Trump lurking behind him. He's clearly hasn't been silenced. In fact, I've kind of been thinking to myself, you know, Trump has the right to silence his advisors. He has the right to tell his advisors not to talk in public. So I don't understand why that would be a problem, but it hasn't happened. So what are, you know, what are they even talking about? Why is there no pushback? Why can Chuck Schumer go on and say that and nobody pushes back? I mean, all Trump has to do is say good morning and The New York Times runs a Front page headline says Trump falsely claims morning good. You know, why why is uh, Chuck Schumer allowed to go on and say this is the first time he'll be able to talk without Trump lurking behind him? He's been on TV everywhere. He has said everything he wanted. He has been asked point blank. Have you been silenced? But what is it? I mean, we don't even have to guess. We don't have to guess. These guys want the economy to hurt. They want you to hurt. They want you out of work. They want you stuck in your apartment. They want you frightened for your life because they want to get at Trump. And that you're just in the way. You know, they used to they used to say they're not after uh, 
they're not after Trump. They're after you. Trump is just in the way. But the reverse is also true. It, they don't care if they hurt you because you're just in the way of their getting to Trump. And they don't care if you're out of work and they don't care if you need money. They, you know, they don't understand how the economy works anyway. They don't understand that all that money that they take home, those hundreds of thousands of dollars they take home every year, that that comes from us. They don't understand that that comes from private business. They think it's just, you know, we print the money. We've got the mint. We print the money. What, what's the problem? Why do we need Amazon? Why, you know, why do we need all these businesses working? So, so Fauci goes before it, and all this stuff was set up beforehand. That with New York Times headline this morning was Fauci to say people will die if we go back to work, right? And he says this is a, a risk. Is cut twenty five. My concern is that if states or cities or regions, uh, in their attempt, understandable, to get back to some form of normality, disregard to a greater or lesser degree the checkpoints that we put in our guidelines about when it is safe to proceed in pulling back on mitigation. Because I feel if that occurs, there is a real risk that you will trigger an outbreak that you may not be able to control, which in fact, paradoxically, will set you back, not only leading to some suffering and death that could be avoided, but could even set you back on the road to trying to get economic recovery. Because it would almost turn the clock back rather than going forward. That is my major concern. So that's his concern. And, and let me say again, you know, because I, I, I know people attack Fauci from both sides because the right says, oh, you know what? What you know what? Why is he always spreading fear? If you listen to what he's saying, he's saying we put out these guidelines, follow the guidelines. We all know we have to be cautious. We all know a big spike, a big spike in cases would set us back because the press would use it to, to spread fear. So so everybody attacks him from both sides. But the thing is, he is a medical advisor. Of course, of course, he's going to put lives first. That's his job. That is his job. It is, you know, it's not the idea that if, if he came out and said, no, no, we have to open up. Believe me, believe me. Chuck Schumer was saying that lying piece of garbage, you know, ah, to kick that man to the curb. It's just because this is what he does. But he's not the only person. He's not the only person who does what he does. I, you know, uh, what's his name? Rand Paul went after him uh, and they had a, a little exchange. Here's a little bit of it. As much as I respect you, Dr. Fauci, I don't think you're the end all. I don't think you're the one person that gets to make a decision. We can listen to your advice, but there are people on the other side saying there's not going to be a surge and that we can safely open the economy. And the facts will bear this out. But if we keep kids out of school for another year, what's going to happen is the poor and underprivileged kids who don't have a parent that's able to teach them at home are not going to learn for a full year. And I think we ought to look at the Swedish model and we ought to look at letting our kids get back to school. I think it's a huge mistake if we don't open the schools in the fall. Well, this is, of course, right. You know, of course, it's right that the weak, the weakest, the poorest uh, are, are the ones who are going to be most hurt. And when they put out these polls that say 68 percent of the people, uh, you know, think we should stay locked down, 60 percent of the people can make their livings at home. 60 percent of people can probably work from home. And so they're not going to hurt in the same way that these other people are going to hurt. But they're going to hurt eventually because if the economy crashes, it's, it's going to hurt everybody. You know, you know, Steve Mnuchin was talking about this. He's saying it's, it's a timing thing. Right now, we can probably make a pretty fast comeback. And personally, I think we will. I'm very hopeful. And I'll tell you why I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful because no matter what these clowns do, people are going to go back to work. And 
not every state is a blue state. So we're going to have states like Georgia that went back to work and hasn't shown a spike yet. We've we've gone back to we've got Texas going back to work. And eventually, look, the news is going to get around. They can't hide everything. They can't cover up everything. These states are going to go back to work and things are going to be fine and things will be OK. You know, there's, it's going to be tragic. There's going to be bad things, too. But the state but the states have to go back to work and it's going to make Cuomo, who has bungled this terribly while the press has sung his praises. It's going to make Cuomo look bad if he doesn't open up. It's going to make Gavin Newsom look bad if they don't open up. So and Massachusetts, which now <laughs> has a policy so complex, I don't even understand what they're saying. So, I, you know, I have a lot of confidence that this thing is going to just start moving forward and people are going to start coming and people are going to be afraid. And I don't think I don't think it's wrong for people to be afraid. I think it's wrong for people to be cowardly. Those are two different things. I think I understand, you know, this it's a bad disease and the people on the right running it down and saying, oh, it's just the flu or whatever. Uh, that's ridiculous. What what people have to say now is, look, we get it. This is bad, you know. But the thing is, Trump is saying that. And, the, and what really gets me about this is if Donald Trump were Obama and he was saying the same thing, we have to be warriors, we have to open up, but we have to be careful. You know what the left would be doing. You know what the press would be doing. When I say the press and the left, I mean, I use those interchangeably. But you know the press would be like weeping with inspiration, the tears streaming to how inspiring it was that he called us warriors. What a, you know, could only, only a man like Obama could say such a thing that call us warriors. I mean, only a man like, you know, and and instead Obama is going in and saying, this is chaos. This is, and and, you know, Mitch McConnell went after him. Do we have this cut of Mitch McConnell talking about Obama's, uh, coming out after Trump? I think President Obama um, should have kept his mouth shut. You know, um, we know he doesn't like much this administration is doing. That's understandable. But I think it's a little bit classless, frankly, to uh, critique an administration that comes after you. You had your shot. You were there for eight years. Um, I think the, the tradition that the Bushes set up of not critiquing the president who comes after you is a good tradition. So I think Obama, I really do think Obama released that uh, tape. Obviously, it was leaked to the press, it was leaked, you know, to the, you know, talking to 3000 supporters. And somehow who could guess that it would ever be leaked to the press? You know, I think Obama's legacy is on the line, and this has been a big deal for him. This is one of the reasons I don't think Michelle Obama, I could be wrong about this, but I don't think Michelle Obama will run and replace Joe Biden, uh, though Joe Biden, by the time he gets there, was really going to have to be wheeled into the White House if he wins on a dolly. But I think that uh, I don't think he wants to go back because he knows he's an incompetent. You know, he knows he did a bad job and he was lucky enough to get the economy when it had to bounce back and that protected him. But in fact, everything else he did, except maybe that trans-Pacific deal, which was probably a better idea than uh, Trump thought it was. But everything else he did was it was a mistake. You know, it was just bad, bad news. So, you know, so all I'm saying right now is this is a moment when the press is selling us something. It's selling us fear. It's selling us closing. And it's all about Trump. And it's all and it's the reason it's all about Trump is because it's all about Obama. They blew an eight year story because of racial neurosis and because of leftist philosophy that they, they blew it. They blew it because of racial neuro- neurosis and they can't admit it. And they're destroying the American press in front of our eyes. And we're going to need that American press when it's gone. All right. Let us talk about one of our favorite sponsors, rockauto.com. And it's not only our favorite sponsor because it will get you car parts the easiest possible way. It is our favorite sponsor because we just love saying rockauto.com. <laughs> 
Gmail.com. It makes us feel so incredibly cool. And you can say it too if you need a part for your car. No matter what kind of car you got, no matter what kind of part, instead of driving down and putting on a mask and waiting online with other people coughing into their mask, you can just stay at home, look on rockauto.com and say to yourself, Hey, you say to your wife, it'll turn her on. You say, hey, honey, I'm on rockauto.com. Yes, I love hearing you say that. So no matter what you need, rockauto.com, it's a family business. They've been serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. And best of all, the prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low, and they're the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car truck. And please, please write Claven in there. How did you hear about us, Box? So they know you know how to spell Claven because that's a very important thing for them to know. It's K-L-A-V-A-N. There are no E's in I was just going to tell you that. There are no E's in Claven. Same thing for the all-access promo. Go on and get the all-access promo so you get all, you get our top tier level of membership. If you're all access, if you get an all access membership, which is what I meant to say, but I was reading off the copy and read all access promo, which makes no sense. And now I sound like Joe Biden. It's all access membership. It is our best top tier membership. You get all the benefits of our other membership tiers, uh, including an ad free website experience, access to all our live broadcasts. You get three hours of Ben show and you get editorials from Ben. Plus you get to be, you know, look, you get what else do I have to say, right? You get the leftist tears tumbler, solid gold, diamond encrusted leftist tears tumbler. Uh, you get to be on the all access program, ask questions. It'll be, I think it's Ben tonight and it's me tomorrow. Uh, so go over to dailywire.com slash subscribe, right? And get 10% off with the coupon code Claven. If you don't, they're paying attention to how many people come from which show. If Knowles gets more subscribers than me, you will not be able to show your face in any place. In the, I, I know you're not showing your face anyway. You're wearing a mask, but you'll have to wear a mask for the rest of your life out of pure shame. You do not want that to happen. You don't want people to say they're the guy who let Knowles get more subscriptions. K-L-A-V-A-N. Do it. Come to DailyWire.com. Subscribe. The mailbag is tomorrow. You do want to be there. All your problems will be solved. <laughs> Right. So, you know, once again, you know, I have to say this about Donald Trump. I think Donald Trump pulled our backsides out of the fire when I see what was happening. And it hasn't even come out yet. I mean, the, you know, what was it? Bill Bennett on uh, Brett Baer's show last night? Somebody said the other shoe is going to drop in about this Russian collusion thing. And <laughs> Bill Bennett said, yeah, it's going to be like Imelda Marco's closet when the other shoe drops. That's how many shoes are going to drop. The fact that we didn't get stuck with this Democrat machine is because it, it's because Donald Trump is a loudmouth. It's because Donald Trump fought back. It's because Donald Trump encouraged the masses. It's because Donald Trump encouraged the people who felt that they had been left out of this global plan to help elites, you know, become incredibly wealthy while they threw little coins out their carriages as they went by. Here's a guaranteed universal income for you, my little man. Here it is. And if my carriage goes by, I will throw you a universal income. <laughs> well, we go out to change the world and do meaningful things. That didn't happen. That that changed because of Donald Trump. And he he won because of who he is. And he may lose because of who he is. The press 
goes after him all the time. And I know you're constantly saying to me, he has to fight back against the press. And I know he does. He would not. This is the tragedy. He would not be there if he didn't fight back. He may lose because they have gone insane and will not stop going after the, the press conference, the press briefing yesterday was a travesty. It was absolutely ridiculous. First, let's let's start with the Trump quote um, about about we have met the moment. Uh, if you can find that one. Yes. Seventeen. In every generation, through every challenge and hardship and danger, America has risen to the task. We have met the moment and we have prevailed. Americans do whatever it takes to find solutions, pioneer breakthroughs and harness the energies we need to achieve a total victory. Day after day, we're making tremendous strides with the dedication of our doctors and nurses. These are incredible people. These are brave people. These are warriors. So. Okay. Again, if Obama made that speech, you know, we have met the moment and we have prevailed. That's all we have. We would hear. It would be the lead on every network show. It would be the lead in the New York Times. It would be a banner war declared headline on the, you know, we have met the moment and we have prevailed. But because it's Trump instead, we get questions like these. This is cut number six, a little montage. Many Americans want to return to their normal lives, but they're afraid to do so. How can you ensure Americans that it's safe to go to their own workplaces when the most secure workplace in the country, the White House, cannot contain the spread of the coronavirus? It's infected some of your own staff. What do you say to Americans who say, how can you how can you keep me safe? How can you reopen the government if even the vice president is self-isolating? And why hasn't testing gotten up to, to the point where every American who wants a test can get a test? First, um, the, the money for this new testing support today comes from the CARE Act, CARES Act, which you signed into law for. 42 days ago. Did your delay in embracing widespread testing have anything to do with a desire to suppress the official number of U.S. cases and deaths as you try to reopen the country? I mean, this, this is amazing. This is amazing. It's childish. It's amazing. It's a way I'm telling you, I know that they treated George W. Bush like this, too. They treated Reagan like this, too. But this has gone to another level where they're actually not even at they're in the they're in the White House Rose Garden. They could be asking questions to gather information to help you deal with the facts as they come out to help the country reopen, which it has to do. They could be doing all that stuff. But instead, they're just spreading fear. People are afraid. Somebody actually asked him, how come you get tests daily, but other people can't get tests daily? He also, you know, he gets Secret Service men. He gets like, you know, he's the president of the United States. It's absurd. And this, this idea about testing is moving the goalposts. Testing is not going to solve everybody's problems. Test, there's still going to be cases. Testing doesn't solve all the problems. It's just, you know, remember it was, what was it, two weeks to deaden the curve to protect the hospitals. Not only have the hospitals been protected, but they're so underused that people are losing their jobs. So if there is a spike, we'll be missing nurses and doctors who would have been there otherwise, right? So the entire thing is now just a nonsense. And it finally devolves into an absolutely embarrassing for the press moment. This is CBS. Uh, I think she's a Chinese American. She's Weijia Zhang. I'm not sure how she pronounces her name. Asking questions that really, I say, I know I say this frequently, but if there were a preschool class in journalism, they would say, don't ask questions like this because it's absurd. But this is the press covering itself in shame and, and also defending China, by the way. Here's the, this set to between her and the president. Why is this a global competition to you if everyday Americans are still losing their lives and we're still seeing more cases every day? 
Well, they're losing their lives everywhere in the world. And maybe that's a question you should ask China. Sir, why are you saying that to me specifically? I'm telling you, I'm not saying it specifically to anybody. I'm saying it to anybody that would ask a nasty question that's like that. That's not a nasty please question. Please go ahead. Next, please. But you did. You called on me. I did, and you didn't respond, and now I'm calling on Sorry, I just the young lady in the back, please. I just wanted to let my colleague finish, okay. but can I ask you Ladies and gentlemen, please? thank you very much. Appreciate but it. Thank you very much. Everything is racist. <laughs> Everything is racist, according to me. <laughs> well, by, and, and Brian Stelter, uh, Brian Stelter actually says this is racist because he's talking to an Asian American about China, which he's been blaming from the very start. Here's Stelter. I think what we saw in that exchange with Weezer Zhang <laughs> is something that has racial overtones. Uh, it is racist to look at an Asian American White House correspondent and say, ask China. This isn't happening in a vacuum. This is part of a pattern of behavior from the president that goes back many years. So he's, he doesn't have the benefit of the doubt that someone might have if for the first time ever in their life, they made a comment like that to a reporter. I really think... <laughs> I really think between Weijia Zhang and Brian Stelter, it's giving female reporters a bad name, and it's giving female. Thank, thank God, there's like Kim Strassel and now, uh, Catherine Herridge. And Come <laughs> on, man! <laughs> because otherwise, you'd look at Brian Stelter and Zhang, and you'd think like women should not be in this profession. <laughs> you know, here is the thing again. You know, I'm looking at the uh, the numbers, and uh, right this minute, Trump's uh, approval rating is kind kind of where Obama's was. I think it's exactly where Obama's was at this time. I think he's he's up. He's like around forty eight percent or so. But there is also word and 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 I should add, there's also word that Biden is losing favor because of this Tara Reid sex story uh, and also because he's a potted palm who could vote for him. I mean, it's just absurd. So. He, he's he's losing favor. Forty eight percent of voters view Biden unfavorably, which is up three points. And Trump, his popularity is up around where Obama's was. So all that is is encouraging. There is word that his internal polling shows that he's losing older people. And that would be a disaster for Trump. Right. We just don't know. I mean, at this point, personally, I think Trump should win every all 57 states. You know, he should win all 57 states. I think that uh, he's he has done an excellent job before this thing hit, and he has done what he could do in this particular situation. And again, I think conservatives should be singing his praises for keeping federalism alive. I think they should be singing his praises. I know we're all impatient. I know we're all impatient with the slow restart, which I think is wrong. I think the slow restart is wrong. I think that every since everybody shut everything down, this is the thing. The argument about against Trump is everyone shut everything down, but it's his fault the economy is going badly, and everybody's dying around the world, but it's his fault that Americans are dying. That's the argument. You know, the argument is this is happening everywhere, but somehow here it's Trump's fault. In Germany, it's not Angela Merkel's fault, but here it's Trump's fault. That's the argument. And they're going to sell it. They're going to be selling this. The, believe me, the Democrats are going to be selling this. When I, you're, they're already, Chuck Schumer is already saying it's Trump's fault that the economy is bad, but don't open the economy. Don't open the economy, but it's Trump's fault is bad. So, I mean, this is the argument. And my argument is if everybody did it, you would have done it. So, uh, you know, that, so it's 2020 hindsight looking at what was happening. Now he has said the right thing. Time to open up states. Do your stuff. 
Everything that happens after this is on the states, and we should be celebrating Trump for keeping federalism alive during this crisis. And every time I hear somebody saying he's not showing leadership, I think, good, good. He's showing enough leadership. He's telling you to be a warrior. He's telling you we can prevail. He's telling you all the right things. If all the things he was saying, if if Obama were saying them, uh, we would be cheering him or the press would be cheering him. And Obama would have started the, you know, Barney Frank Institute of uh, the Barney Frank Agency for overlooking all health care from now on. He'd be used this to push single payer health care. That's what he'd be doing. They would never let a crisis go to waste. Trump has let this crisis go to waste. And for that, I think we should carry him on our shoulders because really he is under fire. He's under fire. And he's I've said this from the very beginning. His fractious personality is what got him elected, but it could also get him unelected. And we should watch for that because this press is out of control. Control. They are going. They may destroy him. They'll destroy themselves at the same time. All right. Let me stop there and uh, end with a final reflection. I've been trying to t- talk about stuff that we've been watching and that's been entertaining here. And I went back to watch one of the uh, movies I watched in my youth, um, Murder My Sweet. It came out in 1944, obviously before my time. But I was a huge, huge Raymond Chandler fan. Raymond Chandler really shaped my idea of writing and my with the things I wanted to write. And Raymond Chandler wrote a book famously uh, titled Farewell, My Lovely, which telegraphed that it was a mystery, but it was beyond a mystery. It also had drama and romance in it, and the publishers didn't want to do it because Farewell, My Lovely, where was the murder in it? So they, when they made the movie, which I think was released overseas as Farewell, My Lovely, they changed it to Murder, My Sweet. And it is a classic, one of the first film noir pictures uh, um, directed by Edward Dimitrik. It's, it's old fashioned now, obviously, but it's awfully cool. It is an awfully, it's got all the cliches, but it's where the cliches come from. I think it's really entertaining. It's only about an hour and 40 minutes or something like this. And the interesting thing is watching Dick Powell. Dick Powell is the star. He plays Philip Marlowe, the tough guy detective. Here's a quick clip of him going up against uh, Mike Mazurki, uh, who was a former wrestler who played is absolutely terrific as the thug in the story. How'd you get mixed up with these cookies? What's the connection? He's okay. He tells me about you. Well, if he tells you I know where Velmi is, he's nuts. He just picked you up to do his dirty work. He's after some jewelry. He thinks I've got it. Why don't you ask him about Velma? I gave you some dough to find her. Well, keep your shirt on. Well, you got it! I haven't got it, you nitwit! Where's the necklace? Tell me and I'll stop you it. You shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't have hit me. <laughs> and Missouri is so big that obviously he really uh, gives it to uh, Philip Marlowe. The thing that's really cool about this, though, if you if you love movies, and I'm a big old movie fan, so if you love movies, the thing that's really cool is that was Dick Powell as the tough guy Philip Marlowe. He started out as a baby-faced singer in Busby Berkeley musicals. I mean, just he just looks like a little cherub, okay? And here's a little clip of one of Busby Berkeley's earlier musicals called Dames, and he's singing a very introducing a very famous song. Are the stars out tonight? I don't know if it's cloudy or bright, cause I only have eyes for you. So the, he, he turned 40. He said, I'm too old to keep doing this. And they wouldn't give him another part. Dimitrik said, I do not want the guy who sang Tiptoe Through the Tulips to play Philip Marlowe. But he finally did a screen test. They gave him the part. He was terrific. And it started, he had a whole second half of his career in which he was in some terrific film noir as a tough guy detective, as, as, a, as a tough guy. And it really is one of the great um, transformation, career transformations, as great uh, as Tom Hanks when he went from being sort of the comic actor to being one of the 
terrific uh, uh, straight actors in America. James Stewart had a similar transition when he came back from being a hero in World War II. Really terrific to see this guy have a second career like that in the film. Anyway, Murder My Sweet, what probably the most um, true to the novel Farewell, My Lovely, the most true to Philip Marlowe, even though The Big Sleep is with Humphrey Bogart is a much better, uh, much more fun film. But if you like Philip Marlowe and if you've read Farewell, My Lovely, Murder, My Sweet is a very, very close adaptation. Got to stop there. Tomorrow's the mailbag. All your problems will be solved on The Andrew Clavin Show. I'm Andrew Clavin. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, give us a five-star review and also tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Matt Wall Show, and The Michael Knoll Show. Thanks for listening. The Andrew Clavin Show is produced by Robert Sterling and directed by Mike Joyner. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Technical producer, Austin Stevens. And our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Assistant director, Pavel Wydowski. Edited by Adam Saevitz. Audio mixed by Robin Fenderson. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Alvera. Animations are by Cynthia Angulo. Production assistants, McKenna Waters and Ryan Love. The Andrew Clavin Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. You know, the Matt Wall Show... It's not just another show about about politics. I think there are enough of those already out there. We talk about culture because culture drives politics and it drives everything else. So my main focuses are life, family, faith. Those are fundamental and that's what this show is about. I hope you'll give it a listen. Listener.